Spine, how books are put together. I'm your host Holly Dunn and today I'm talking with Sarah Mae Wilkinson who is a book cover designer and associate art director at WW Norton. Sarah Mae has some incredible stories behind particular book covers and that's something that we discuss towards the end of the interview but we also talk about her journey into book design which wasn't exactly conventional. She started out in the beauty industry and transitioned into publishing which is super cool and I really enjoyed hearing about her her journey there. Without further ado, here's Sarah Mae. Essentially, I I went to Parsons School of Design. While I was there, I got an internship at hair company, a beauty products company called Bumble and Bumble. And throughout school, I interned probably, I think uh, I became their intern and I was interning for two and a half years or something like that before I graduated. And during that time, uh, I really fell in love with that company. I fell in love with the folks there, but I was still in school. And I got basically a teacher, a professor of mine at the time, Kevin Brainerd, suggested that I get in contact with this book cover designer, Rodrigo Corral, check out his work and see if that would be something of interest to me. Uh, So I did. And basically, my last year in college, I did a dual internship over the summer. So I continued my internship at Bumble. And then I also did an internship with Rodrigo at his studio at the time on Howard Street. And, you know, I I had kind of this instinct or um, feeling that I would really love book cover design. I've always been a very avid reader. It just kind of all made a lot of sense. And it had just never really occurred to me until Kevin kind of brought it to my attention in his experimental typography class. And so I did the internship. And as exciting as it was and obviously as wonderful as it was to work with someone like Rodrigo I already had a job offer essentially for the following year at Bumble and you know at that time I I don't know what I was like 23 or something Bumble was just like a really emerging brand it was like very dynamic it was a really big art department filled with really wonderful young designers who were kind of teaching me and collaborating with me and bringing me up. And so when I graduated, my my gut told me that I should, I should take this gig with Bumble and move forward along that track. At the time, not thinking, um, you know, being pretty young, not thinking it would close the door on publishing, just thinking, oh, this is a design job and isn't that wonderful and, and I love these people and I love this work. Then, <laughs> 10 years later, I uh, just kind of really... I mean, there's a lot of different things that happened. I worked at Bumble for many years and I and I loved it. I learned so much there and I still am, you know, very dear friends with some of the folks who I met there. I still have mentors from there. Then I worked at a very small startup and basically ran my, my one woman art department there. Then I went, uh, I started working independently. I also had like a weird little foray into uh, teaching yoga and meditation. And then I was back at another beauty company in the city, like working in Midtown again, just like really at it. And I had remained in contact with Rodrigo throughout that 10 years. You know, he had become a kind of teacher and mentor of mine. So he kind of knew I was looking to transition and and I really wanted to explore publishing at some point and working as a book cover designer. And it was one of those really weird serendipitous moments where I was at this beauty products company in the city and they offered me a very, very nice contract to come on full time um, as an art director. And 
I mean, I kid you not, within 48 hours, Rodrigo called me and was like, I have an opening on my team at FSG. It's an entry-level position. It will be a huge step down for you, but it's a way for you to get your foot in the door. What do you think? And I was just like, oh, wow, okay. Well, I'm like juggling a couple of different things right now, but that sounds really exciting. Can you give me some time to think about it? You know, meanwhile, this other company was waiting for an answer as well. And so I, I took a couple of days to sit down and really think about things, also strategize things about things financially, because again, it was, it was moving in a very different direction. And uh, I decided that this was the time to do it, that there wasn't going to be another time for me to, to explore this option. And what better place to do it than at Farrar, Strauss and Giroux. So yeah. that was three years ago now. Mm. And I mean, I quite truly took a role that was described as mechanical artist. Right. So uh, I really started at the very bottom. It was like a non-permanent temporary position. And the idea was that I would just hustle really hard and, and do the work of the mechanical artist in addition to, you know, earning the right to do covers. And that was the way it worked. So I, I left my art director role in the beauty industry to, <laughs> to go work at FSG. And I, I don't regret it for a second. That's amazing. I feel very, very, yeah, I feel very, very lucky. And I'm very thankful to Rodrigo and the folks at FSG for taking a chance on me um, and setting me on this path because it's been really nothing but a rewarding and inspiring experience and, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy. I love my job. And, yeah. and what happened from there? Because obviously you're you're not just sort of pushing pixels around anymore. Uh, no. Okay. So uh, I was at FSG, I think, for a year and a half or two years. You know, there wasn't much room to grow there. It's a pretty small department. Um, and Rodrigo and I kind of always knew that. I also, obviously, coming from an art director role in the beauty industry, I had certain skill sets that just weren't being put to use in such a kind of small environment. So I started looking for other opportunities. I should mention actually that I also, uh, you know, I went into FSG very much with the mindset that I had, I had kind of two options at the time. I could either go back to school and do a master's and build a portfolio that consisted uh, more of work that would appeal to those in publishing, or I could go work at FSG. Yeah. <laughs> That was kind of, I, I really viewed my time at FSG as a master's program in design. Sure. Um, and so while I was there, not only did I seek out the advice and tutelage, obviously, of Rodrigo and Alex and Tyler and Na, but I also started to reach out. Like I was so bold and so shameless. Uh, I started reaching out to as many people in the industry as possible and uh, requesting, begging, pleading if they would meet me for coffee, a drink, you know, anything that I could treat them to. Yeah. Uh, take a look at the work that I produced so far. Uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what I was doing right, what I was doing wrong, what would make me an appealing candidate, what currently made me a less appealing candidate. And I have to say, folks were so kind and so generous and so thoughtful and, uh, you know, some of them were really hard on me and I, and I really appreciated it. Uh, I met with something like 20, 27 different designers in a year. Wow. So I was 
I was averaging one every two weeks or so. Yeah, I would, I'd, I'd skip away from my desk and take someone to lunch or I'd meet someone for a drink after work. And, you know, I just, I was continually updating my book, uh, working on new stuff with Rodrigo and the team at FSG. And I just, you know, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how kind everyone was to take the time to meet with me. Uh, just so many, I don't think that there was a person who said no. I think there mm. were one or two didn't ultimately connect with because of scheduling and it just, you know, it started getting a bit awkward with all the emails. Sure. Other than that, everyone took a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. So uh, that was, that was really cool. And that put me then in a position where I had all these folks that I was in touch with and in contact with. So then when I was looking for a new position beyond FSG, just around the same time, uh, Robin Billardillo reached out to me. She was going on mat leave. So I took, I'm sorry, my dog has brought me a squeaky <laughs> So Robin Billardilla reached out to me to cover her for mat leave at HarperCollins. You know, it wasn't a permanent position, but I thought, hey, what a great opportunity, a very different kind of publishing house, a very different kind of design sensibility. Why don't I, why don't I take this leap and like see where it takes me? So I did that. Then I was over at HarperCollins for I think about six months. From there, I was already actually in conversation with Steve Atardo about the position that I now have at WW Northern. Steve and I were talking pretty much throughout the time I was at HarperCollins and trying to figure things out and, and figure out what would work for both of us and for the team over at Norton. And then it kind of just worked seamlessly. Like, I think I left Harper on a Friday afternoon and was at Norton on a Monday. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it worked for me again, like, you know, I just, I was really excited about the all, all of the opportunities that were coming up and there was no way I was going to kind of let anything stop me from doing what I wanted to do. And if they needed me on Monday, they needed me on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and quite a different kind of publishing house again. Yeah. Which is, it was, it was something that was really appealing to me. So mm. to get into a place like Norton and work with uh, folks like Steve and Ing Sue was a really meaningful switch for me. I mean, what what a wonderful opportunity, and I'm I'm so happy there. I I really really enjoy my role there, and I I love the team there. They're wonderful people. Um, and again, I you know I continue along this kind of path of learning, really while working, which is is so nice. I mean, and and being paid to do something that I love, and I'm learning so much. I I just feel so fortunate. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of things I'd, I'd like to go back to, uh, things sure. that you, you brought up. Uh, the first was you said that it was it was either go and work at FSG or mm -hmm. go and do a master's and, mm -hmm. and that you, you feel you, you made the right choice there. And I, mm -hmm. I would like to get your input on you know, if somebody else was in a similar position mm -hmm. and... You know, wanted to get into you know, transition into a different industry would you recommend trying to just get straight into the into it or to to take the the more traditional route of, of getting an education in it well I think it's it's fair to say I can only speak to my own experience you know of course I, I, yeah. I, I feel like I I this has worked out for me so I I would recommend it but I think that it maybe takes a certain kind of person or a certain nature the other deterrent for me going back to school was that it was financially prohibitive, right? Yeah. So 
Um, if you decide you want to go back to school for a master's, you're going to have student loans, you're going to have all sorts of different things occur. And it's not that I was making a lot of money at FSG, but I was making a little bit of money. And mm-hmm. if you like kind of go back in time, I kind of, I looked at it like I was studying under a great master, you know, I was apprenticing. Yeah. And if I, and if I took that perspective into work every day, it was very hard to feel grumpy about the money or ungrateful about my position, mm. you know, because truly the the book cover industry is so insular and so uh, niche and so specific. And it's a very small community here in New York City yeah. that it would have been really, really hard for me to get involved any other way. Rodrigo calling me up that day and offering me that entry level position was a really big deal. I mean, there are people constantly coming and I witnessed it while I was there constantly coming in to meet with Rodrigo looking for work looking for jobs it was a big deal I'm I'm very thankful for it but you know some people do better in in a more structured environment where they're going to have many different teachers and maybe they excel under kind of being graded and, and these sorts of things but I'm a big fan of real life experience I'm a big fan of like kind of getting right in there I mean I started my internship at Bumble and Bumble in my second year in college and I kept on going every single year uh, every semester I mean Parsons was a on 13th and 5th Avenue and Bumble and Bumble at the time was at 14th and 8th. And I used to basically just bounce between the two. Any free time I had, I was over at Bumble working. So by the time I was graduating, you know, I was a bird in the hand to them. There was, I was a no brainer. They already had me all ready to go. Why would they hire anybody else? And I had all like, I also then if I wanted to interview elsewhere, I had real things I had made, Mm. you know, real life projects that were out in the world, um, living and breathing. And uh, I think that that's, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people ask this question earlier on now um, that they go, well, well, they finish up a high school and go, okay, do I, do I go to tertiary education and, mm-hmm. and go through that process? Or do I just try and get an internship? Or do I just build a portfolio myself? And, mm-hmm. and it seems that there are more ways to do that now than there were before. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. With um, the way social media works now, I mean, anybody can build a, a presence and a brand in any way, which way they want to their benefit and also, I'm sure, to their detriment. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I have, a, I have folks who reach out and want to have chats about the best way forward. As I said, I can really only speak to my experience and the things that excite me and make me tick and make me work hard. Sure. And for me, that was that was getting right in there. And you can do a crit with a, a teacher at college, but there's nothing like sitting in a room with a publisher and the head of sales and the head of marketing and editor and folks really going to town on your work and telling you what something's about. It's just a it's a very different kind of thing. And I think book cover design is too a very unique design process and approval process relative to certainly the beauty industry. And that's what I know. Mm. Um, But also my understanding, having many other friends in design, other other design industries as well. It's, um, it's kind of like, you never know what you're going to get. Absolutely. And, And not just the, the the process and the 
the the industry itself, but the the process of making a book cover is very different to making a packaging design or, or any other kind of design, really, because it is made to be used in a very specific way. And I've seen a lot of graphic designers try to do book covers and not really get what a book cover is trying to do. And I, oh, I do yeah. think it's it's something that takes a lot of practice. I remember when I started because. I'm basically self-taught in terms of the mm-hmm. book cover design. And when I started, I kind of went, oh, yeah, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> and at, at, at that time, I was pretty immersed in, in the world of books. I was working as a bookseller. And there cool. was, you know, I, I had this idea of what what is good in, in terms of book design. But then getting to that point was was really quite hard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I cannot tell you how devastatingly humbling the first, I mean, six months at least at FSG was. And I mean, it still continues to be. I went in there coming from a place of great confidence um, and a pretty good standing in, in my industry. And I just, oh, oh, I mean, even thinking about it right now, like makes my mouth sweat a little bit. The first couple of covers were just... It was very painful. There was a lot of tears. I and that I'm so grateful for that because it's really it's taught me so much about myself, my creative process, uh, how I feel about my work, and how my work relates to how I feel about my you know like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I had to really unpack it. It was like a it was a big awakening. And Rodrigo, uh, particularly at FSG, he wasn't an easy teacher but a very wise teacher, you know, he had some, he had some solid words for me at different times that I really took to heart and like it carried me through. I remember him saying to me at one point, I was getting really hung up on this one cover and uh, really fighting the non-approvals. And uh, he was just like, there's going to be another cover. There's always going to be another cover. Yeah. Like we've got another list coming right now. And it wasn't to make light of the work that I was doing at that time, but it was to make clear to me that I could push myself really, really hard and push everybody else around me in in the directions that I wanted them to go as best I could. But where was it going to get me? Like, why not take that energy and put it into the next one? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just this idea, and this is like an idea that comes up in yoga a lot, but like of holding something, you hold it. And, and, you know, you really do hold it, but you hold it lightly. And that makes the work just so much more enjoyable. And, you know, it's like this idea of uh, <laughs> dissolving resistance. And again, not to become like a doormat or something, but just to allow things to grow in a way and develop in a way that, that makes sense. To just like, Rodrigo has a lot of um, sports stuff, but like pivot, pivot, pivot was something he would say, like, how can we pivot here to make this work? Like, Let's not talk about what's not working. Let's talk about how to make it work. And it was always very fast moving. He's very high energy. So that was cool. And it is such a personal thing. I mean, you're you're making art, but you're also making it to sell something. And th- there's always that tension between those two things, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like as someone who has a separate and independent art practice, I think it's really important to be very aware of the fact that you are creating a package for a, a good that good is another art form, but it's still a good to be sold. 
so uh, I mean, I cherish my independent art practice for that reason, because in that space, I can do whatever I want, whatever way I want. Like, I'm the publisher, I'm the head of sales, I'm everything. Mm. But, you know, when I go and someone hires me, you know, I'm, they're my client, I'm, I'm working for them. And it's a collaborative process. And I'm not the be all and end all of the work. And I have to collaborate with other people and hear their perspectives and opinions and integrate them into what maybe initially starts as like, my own little art baby, <laughs> mm. but ultimately becomes something else. You know, I think that one of the things that is that I really enjoy about my job is the collaborative nature of it. And, you know, sometimes that that bites me. But most of the time, I really enjoy it. I like having conversations about where we can take something and how we can position it and what's the right tone. And, oh, like the author really doesn't interpret their work that way. Oh, well, that's awkward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that happens, you know, like, it, it really does. I've read some books that I've fallen totally in love with. And I, you know, I quote work for it that I'm really proud of, and I'm really excited about. And the author is just like, ew. <laughs> mm. Yuck, I hate it. And it's just like, ouch, okay. And I mean, I think that that's a really important thing. I remember being at, um, I think it was an ADC talk. I think it, yeah, I think it was an ADC talk. Um, or no, maybe it's type, type Directors Club. Anyway, uh, here in New York, like a little tiny, tiny room, and we're all talking. Um, I think maybe Paul Buckley was speaking. But it's an intimate group, so we're all just kind of having a chat. And I, I can't remember who said it. Prominent male figure in the industry. Uh, I won't embarrass myself by trying to guess. Yeah. But... You know, he said something about, and he said it in such a, he paraphrased in such a good way, like, just that this job is basically the process of getting comfortable with no. You have to be a very particular kind of person to do this work because 95% of your efforts are rejected. Like, the nature of the job is actually rejection. It's not approval. Because you show 10 comps, only one is being approved. But you might have worked equally hard on all of those directions, all of these beautiful, beautiful things. There can only be one cover. Yes. I mean, unless they pick something up for, for paperback. But, you know, <laughs> I, it, they have to say no to nine in order to say yes to one. That's so true. So it's a very uh, specific temperament that can, I think, deal with that. And I think it's fair to say I didn't have it when I started. <laughs> yeah, so um, how do you think you develop that? Is it just through doing it? Or can you? are there any w other ways to build up resilience in, in that sense? I think resilience just comes from... I think resilience might come from confidence. And I think confidence might come from productivity. I think that... I mean, this. I can only speak for myself, um, but... Um, yeah, I think that for me, in order to develop confidence in my work, I just have to make a lot of it. And I had to do it at the beginning, I had to kind of get over that hump. It wasn't like the beauty industry where, you know, you would present three concepts, and those concepts were kind of already loosely drafted, because they were launching a particular type of thing. So you already had a framework. And here you have a manuscript and a manuscript is you know, let's say 250 pages long. There's a lot of different ways in which things can go. And we have some loose frameworks, like we have the format, 
like the object is the same typically, but you know, and then the genre beyond that, it, every, every cover is kind of a unique experience or journey or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I think you just need to do a lot of work. And then it's also that idea of holding it all lightly and knowing that there's going to be more and it's going to continue to be exciting. I, I mean, I black out half the stuff I've done. I don't remember, <laughs> you know, we're on to a, a new list and I forget what we did last season. I don't, I don't remember anything. Mm. Yeah. It, that's just how my brain works. Maybe though. I, I think that's amazing advice actually, because uh, for me, when I started out, I remember I would spend so much time on one cover and just getting it perfect so that when it went on my portfolio it would be you know the star of the portfolio and and then mm-hmm. as I've as I've gone through and and especially in my personal work I've tried to just do more of it and the more I do the more good stuff I do also the more bad stuff mm-hmm. I do but you know it, it, it the, the the quantity over over quality thing I think is usually we have it the the wrong way around when it comes to sort of experimenting and and creating work to go in our portfolios, especially that we think each piece needs to be absolutely perfect. So I'll just spend so much time on this one thing and sort of have have blinders on. Whereas if you yeah. if you really spread out and and experiment with lots of different things, you end up doing stuff that you couldn't have imagined at the beginning. Oh, always, always. I am like, wait, where am I? (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I thought I was doing. And I I totally agree on the idea of casting a really wide net at the beginning of your process and Mm. remaining really open to anything that presents itself as, you know, an idea, whether it's conceptual or just something that's aesthetically pleasing. And I know, um, yeah, I know for myself, I I just try to really get over any fear of, rejection or failure and just keep moving like that's that's my rule keep moving momentum don't stop and I also am like well aware uh and I I often tell other folks and I feel like someone told me at this at one point but I can't remember who is you're just going to make a lot of rubbish yeah like just get over it like get over yourself and your like precious ways of perfection to not allow, what is it, perfection be the enemy of good or something like this, and just make as much as possible. And then, you know, you know, hopefully you have other eyes around you, whether it's an art director or a friend or a somebody, I don't know. And, you know, maybe you have someone else look at something and help you edit things down, and then you strategize about way to improve upon things and how to push that one forward and maybe pull that one a little bit back and that kind of thing. Yeah, and then you just you go in and and you cross your fingers and you hope for the best and never show anything you don't want to get approved. Yeah. <laughs> never do that. Like, Absolutely. you know, I, I, I work with a number of designers now and I, I always try to ask like, okay, like what's your absolute favorite? Like if you were, if you were walking into this meeting, what would you be rooting for? What would you be fighting for? Because I want to advocate for that on your behalf they'll let me know. And then in that process, it actually often becomes clear what they're not that excited about. And I'll mm. be like, wait, why, why are we even bringing this into the meeting? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've also been really lucky and I'm particularly very lucky right now at Norton. I have really wonderful uh, art directors and advisors there in Steve Atardo 
and Ing Lu, like they just, they're so magnificent and, and guiding me along my way. The team there in terms of like jacket meetings and stuff like that is also really wonderful and supportive. And so I don't feel scared and I don't feel shy about showing things that I'm really excited about that may, might be a little bit different, that might be a little bit bold. You know, the worst thing that they can say to me is, come on, like, what are you nuts? <laughs> and I'm like, and I was like, I don't know, I was having a little bit of fun. And then there's like a joke about me having lots of fun. And like, then, you know, and it's, it's fine. You know, there's also a confidence there where they know that I'm going to get the job done and, and get a job, get it done well. So if I show something a little bit off the wall, it's okay, there's room for that. And hey, sometimes that stuff, that stuff gets through and it gets approved. Wow, what a day. Like, you know, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, the, the folks at, at Norton, it's a really strong team there. And we work really well together. Yeah, I feel really well supported there. And it's also like meeting with those kinds of folks, people in sales, marketing, um, publishing. They have a particular perspective. And, and that's something that's interesting to me. I'm a highly curious person. I, I, I want to know why they're making the decisions that they are. I'm not only interested in design, I'm interested in business, I'm interested in, you know, marketing and positioning. So having those kinds of conversations, even at the cost sometimes of my own work is, is quite fun. And that's all so important as a part of it. I mean, I think that the more that we can talk to different departments, different parts of, of publishing, the better, because then you sort of know who you're having to pitch your, your designs to and, and what they're looking for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an industry of communication, right? We're, we're dealing yeah. with language and words. So the better equipped you are and the more comfortable you are, to have um, those kinds of conversations, whether they be difficult or uncomfortable with folks, is definitely a plus. It's a funny job, though, also, because being a cover designer can be quite isolating. There are entire days, and I like these days, where I'm just, like, bunkered up in my cubby, and I'm just, like, in the zone, and there's nothing that's pulling me out, and that's what I'm doing. You know, I also, on the weekend, I go to my studios, and, and sometimes I bring cover stuff there, and it's like, I'm just... I'm in that space, I'm working, I'm designing, I'm building, I'm making, I'm painting, whatever it is. But that's only part of the job. You've got to be able to communicate about what you did and why you did it. And you've got to be somebody who's willing to read manuscript with a really open mind and not just be kind of looking at it from your perspective, but looking at it from an audience's perspective. Absolutely. And what are the things that are going to excite them that are within this wonderful thing? Yeah. Um, and, you know, what a treat to get to read a thing before a year before anybody else gets to read oh, it. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. I feel so lucky. It's like I, I've been reading all these wonderful books and I'm just like, I can't wait for my friends to get to read them next year. <laughs> mm, so you can actually discuss them. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really cool. I mean, it's such a privilege um, to be trusted with another person's artwork. Mm. Um, and you know some people have been working on these books for like 15 years so yeah. it's it's not uh it's not something I try to enjoy myself and you know at the same time there's there certain aspects of it that I don't take very lightly but yeah. it's it's a lot of responsibility isn't it for especially as as an author often has spent at least a few years on a manuscript if not 10 or 15 that you're then, I mean, you're not obviously not the only part in the, in this machine, but 
your your the the first port of call really for a, for a reader the, the first thing they interact with is the cover and the title mm. yeah well i think that that's why there ultimately is a team of people who decide what the most appropriate thing is you yeah. know i put forth what i what i can and and as everybody else does and then it's up to another team to say like oh yeah this is totally on point and this is where mm. we want to head and yeah those are the folks we want to speak to and you know so that's why there's the process and it's not just something that's it's not working independently. Mm. Uh, and that's, I guess, to go back to talking about folks going back to school or just trying to get a gig in the industry. I think that's where having a job in the actual industry can sometimes help because you get that real feedback. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I approve most of my own work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to ask you about the your personal practice. But before we do sure. that, I'd like to go back to what you said about when you were meeting up with art directors and designers and getting feedback mm -hmm. on your portfolio. And I was just wondering mm -hmm. if you could remember any specific feedback that you got that maybe has a, a bit more of a, a universal um, thing to it that other other designers could learn from. Oh, absolutely. I treasure all the things that I was taught and told in these meetings. I was hanging on these individuals every word. Yeah. I got some great advice from Jason Hewer, who I met up with, and he was looking at my portfolio. He's one of the first folks who I met up with. And one of his pieces of advice was make sure your website works and make sure that your website works on a phone. Because any art director who's getting an email from somebody is probably going to take the time to look at this on their commute to or from work. They don't have time when they're sitting in the office to look at things. So they're going to be like thumbing through something on their phone on the train. That's wonderful um, advice. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, person who I met up with, Kelly Blair, um, over at Pantheon, a really, really talented designer and very generous, you know, really actually uh, gave me quite a lot of feedback on my work. She mentioned, um, you know, I was really fretting about putting together my website. And she was like, just do it. I was like, oh, but you know this and the photographs and the, that. She's like, just put it up. Yeah. <laughs> like, just keep it really simple. Keep it really straightforward. Like, there don't need to be any bells and whistles. Let your work just do the talking. Just get it up. Like, and you can always that, add those later. Right. Stop with the fussing. And also, you don't want something that's so complicated that every time a season closes and you want to add, you know, 10 new covers, that it's like, painting a Sistine Chapel again or something. Like, yep, I've definitely be been there. Pop, yeah, you just want to be able to pop them up there. So I just got like the most basic kind of like pre-formatted website from this company in Toronto called Format. They're wonderful. And I just, I think I did it in three hours. <laughs> Probably less. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I took down all my beauty stuff or I made that private and I just put book stuff up. So if folks contact me about beauty, I give them like a little password. That's quite but, a good way uh, of doing it, actually. Yeah, because I want that stuff to still be accessible to people, like particularly folks abroad or whatever. But it's not the work I'm looking to do now. So it's really important for me that on my site, it really just shows off the stuff that I'm, I'm actively seeking yeah. to do. Oh, that was another piece of advice I got actually from Helen Yentis over at Riverhead. Also very generous with her time. She told me never to show anything that I wasn't really excited about and I didn't want to make more of. 
Mm. And this is a this is a divisive idea. Uh, meaning that many people will tell you uh, you should show a broad range of work so that you can exhibit, you know, if you're going to go w- work in-house somewhere, you need to be able to execute various styles and genres. So you need to do, you know, a political book, economics, uh, maybe uh, a novel, you know, it's there's a lot going on. Sure. Um, so you should show a broad range of work mm. uh, and a, a, a broad skill set. Or... <laughs> You just show the kind of work you want to continue to attract um, and the kind of work you really enjoy doing or the kind of title that you had a great experience on and then see what happens from there. And so I kind of, I, I took her advice, which is the latter. And uh, for the most part on my site, I just show things that I'm, I'm really excited about and I want to do more of. But then if someone contacted me from a, a different house for a freelance project that was a particular kind of book, I could certainly send them examples of things that I've done in that realm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a little bit of strategic thinking, I think, that needs to be implemented when developing one's website or portfolio. Yes, I guess it's the difference between being somewhat attractive to many people and being absolutely perfect for just a few people. Right. Yeah, and that's I guess that's a decision folks need to make. Yeah, I, I think that narrowing down is is a worthwhile thing to do. Maybe not too far, uh, but yeah. but certainly if you can sort of say, yeah, this is this is how I stand out. This is my thing. Mm-hmm. Then right. that's that's going to. Uh, be attractive to those few clients or or publishers mm-hmm. who uh, are looking for just that, mm-hmm. and then people know exactly what they're going to get as well. I uh, I don't know. I would hope that nobody ever knows what they're going to get from me. Well, you know given that, that, that you even can... that I often don't know. But well, say say if you've got if you've got a a portfolio that has lots of photography and lots of um, sort of Photoshop work where you're working with other people's right. stock images and you're also doing right. illustration, uh-huh. That's that might be attractive to a, a wide range of, of different people. But if you just went with, say, the photography side of things, then right. people get to know you for being the person who does maybe the you know, historical historical romance covers or i mean i suppose it depends what sort of job you're looking for and what sort of mm-hmm. people you're you're looking to work with um mm-hmm. but for me i found that that's been worthwhile sort of thinking about okay so what what are people coming to me for mm-hmm. uh, but then i'm i'm working as a freelancer so mm-hmm. people are coming to me for a particular kind of style yeah, I think, you know, now that you're saying that, it's interesting. I'm thinking about my position now at Norton, working as an art director. I hire folks to do covers, um, mm. which is a new new and fun fun role for me. And I definitely have certain people pop into mind when certain titles come up. Yeah. You know, I have a bunch of folks that I feel really comfortable working with um, that I've met along my kind of path. And I know what their strengths are. And if there's a certain cover that I know calls for that, I will email them and be like, hey, what's up? Do you have time? Mm. Um, so I guess it does kind of work that way. And you I certainly no don't idea. want all your covers to look the same. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. But no, no, just yeah. having yeah. A, a particular theme 
maybe yeah. you you do crime covers more so than others or or you right. have a particular um flavor to to your style sure mm. sure i think that that probably happens yeah but again if you're looking for a job in house you're probably expected to do a, a, a huge range of of stuff so you might be better off having that broader portfolio right and and, and in regards to that kind of situation to um interviewing in-house, um, I would encourage folks, if you're still looking for um, hot tips in this regard, um, yeah. you know, when you go for an interview in-house, uh, I would highly suggest printing your portfolio. I, I know that everyone now has tablets and computers and screens and, and these kinds of things, but there's nothing like more beautiful than flipping through someone's book and hey, like if you've done some covers and you've worked elsewhere, like bring some actual copies of books you've worked on. Yeah, because um, ultimately it's going to be on paper. Right. And like talk talk us through the production value and how you collaborated with the production team to choose certain effects and papers and these kinds of things. Because yeah. that's a huge part of the process. And when I was working in beauty, obviously the kind of production team was really extensive because we were working on many different kinds of objects. What's so fun about working on this very now specific kind of object is the production department, particularly at Norton, is so nerdy and just they're such geniuses. It's like you go over and you're like, I was thinking this thing and maybe this thing, but what do you think? And it's like this whole back and forth. And together you come up with this formula and hopefully that's cost effective and you can get approved but it takes your work to a whole other level then it becomes a thing that you've kind of done together it's a huge part I think of the process and I think one that's overlooked sometimes you know uh Ingsu Lu just art directed a cover uh by Nick Masani that just released called Greek to Me and the production on that book is just it's perfection and they worked on it for a really long time. You know, the design took a long time as well. But like once they had that done, I mean, the production was almost an equal amount of time. So it's not to be overlooked. And it's something certainly in the interview process that I really appreciate meeting with candidates who have printed books and printed objects with them. Yeah. And I found that my experience working in a bookshop definitely got me thinking about those kinds of things. So actually yeah, going so and, and looking in, in bookshops and and picking up books and and feeling how the different laminates feel and and looking at the the gloss because none of that is is stuff you can see online no I know and it's so you know it's so tough because I love all this online presence of book covers and I, I love all the things that spine does and and other folks but it's like oh but wait you can't see the metallic paper or you can't see the emboss yeah and you can't <laughs> smell like, the paper or yeah. <laughs> any of that yeah so, I mean, I definitely make it a pretty regular practice, at least once a week to make it to a bookshop, whether yeah. it's in my my home neighborhood of Greenpoint. There's a great bookshop uh, here called Word. Or in the city, sometimes uh, some folks and I from Norton will head over to Kinacuña or Barnes & Noble and, and just, like, hold some things and take a look at them and, like, you know, absorb it and, and also celebrate some of our books being on those shelves and, yeah. and looking good, so... Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely, you got to get out there and and check out what folks are doing. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that too. All right, well, we're we're running out of time, but um, 
Okay. I, I, you've, you've mentioned your, your personal work and your, your own mm-hmm. artistic practice. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through a, l- a little bit of how that, how that looks and then how that impacts on your book design practice? Sure. I have a, a studio space in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, it's a cool little space with uh, four or five other people who work in it. And I basically go there to do painting, um, mostly watercolor. And then also uh, I work in, I guess, fiber art. I'm a knitter. I'm an avid knitter. Oh. So I started knitting, like, you know, I, I knit wearable objects, but then also just kind of like little sculptural things. Um, but yeah, it's really, uh, I have to admit, since getting into publishing three years ago, because I was starting at the bottom again, I've had to kind of gun it. Um, and I've been working a lot, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours. And as a result, I'm spending not as much time on my personal work as I have in the past. And something probably in the in the near future, in the next year, is, is one of my goals is to try to kind of return to some work life balance. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it's and, hard. Uh, it's really hard, and continue to develop some of those personal projects a little bit further and get them out into the world. But yeah, the the last three years, it's been pretty tricky. So it's like a little bit here and a little bit there, and then I'll be at the studio, and all of a sudden, I find myself like being like oh well but that would be good for that title you know like I get I my my mind is just always working it's Um, impossible to separate it isn't it yeah and then with 16 18 titles a season like you know I'm constantly thinking about them and it's always brewing back there and and part of the fun of it too because you you know in the middle of the night you jump up and you're like wait but that thing (laughs) yeah I actually had a, I had a moment like that just last night. <laughs> but again, it's what I it's what I love, so it's it's fine. And and um, mm. you know, there's also I, I try to tell uh, folks that there's no lost work, there's no wasted work. So you know, some people are like, oh, their favorite cover didn't get approved or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but you made this really beautiful thing. Like, you did it. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the job. Try not to get too wrapped up in, in the other parts of it. Just know that when you're sitting, working, that's the job. And what a wonderful job. What a pleasure. You know, what a treat. So finally, I wanted to ask you, and this was, I think, why Eric suggested you for this podcast, is that you've got some amazing stories behind some of the, the covers you've done. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so I sweet. Think, I think the particular one is The Country Girls. Is that a photograph of your mother? Oh, yeah. So that was a really uh, serendipitous opportunity. So I was originally born in Ireland. I grew up in Canada and I moved to New York when I was uh, 18. But, um, you know, my whole family's from Ireland. And so when this amazing work by Edna O'Brien, the Country Girls Trilogy, which is an epic, super important piece of literature, I think, in, in Irish history and culture, as well as I would imagine in the world. But you know, that came across his desk and he was like, okay, well, you're Irish, you should do this. And I was like, okay. So it's weird. It had also like her name in particular had been circling around my family for a couple of months prior. I think, I don't, I can't remember why exactly, but it had. And I'd been like, I never read any of her work. And then all of a sudden I had her title. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I started working on it. It was the editor, uh, I guess, of the work or the, the person publishing it was Jonathan Galassi, the publisher at FSG. He's a good friend of Edna O'Brien's. And 
I did tons of drawings. I did tons of sketches. I had so many different directions. We were going all over the place. And, and you know, working with Jonathan Galassi is just such an honor. And, and he's also just a wonderful person to work with. And he was loving everything. But then we brought it to the rest of the team. And, and they were not into what we were doing. And it was ultimately decided that we needed a photograph that was going to be the right thing for this book and this, like kind of re-release or reprint. I was like, okay, well, this is going to be tricky. And then I don't even know why it hadn't occurred to me sooner, but I was just like, well, my mom was like living at this time about this age and doing these kinds of things. <laughs> so I just called up my mom and I was like, I'm coming home. <laughs> and they, they were living in Toronto at the time. My parents, they've since now moved back to Dublin. But so I just, I flew up to Toronto for a couple of days and I went through my mom's old photo albums and I found a handful of photos that I thought would be appropriate. And we looked at a couple in layout and a handful of different layouts, but this was the one that was ultimately chosen. It's a picture of my mother and her best friend who she's still dear friends with. They've known each other since they were four. In the photo on the book, they are, I think, 16 or 17. They're walking across O'Connell Street Bridge, which is a very important and iconic bridge in Dublin. And the photograph was taken by, I can't remember what they referred to him as now. There was like a guy called like the photo man or the cameraman. Either way, he was always there and he was always taking just candid photos of people. And then what he would do is say like, if you want the photo, here's a ticket. You can come by my studio tomorrow and take a look. If you like it, you can buy it. I guess that's what they did. So they had this photo and it was just kind of the perfect image for the book because, I mean, it's a wonderful book about uh, young girls turning into women, coming of age in Dublin, moving from the country into the city, the kind of adventures that they have and discovering their themselves and their friendship and their sexuality and all these kinds of things. What's crazy is that the book was banned in Dublin in the 60s after it was published because it was felt to be like too risque and totally out of line and misrepresenting Irish youth and all this stuff. And uh, I mean, there's stories of folks in Edna O'Brien's town where she came from setting the book on fire. They gathered all the Goodness. books in the center of the town. Yeah. And they set them on fire. So it was, it was banned for many, many years from the country, it re which resulted in Edna O'Brien leaving the country and moving to London and now what's really amazing about all of this is I get a call like maybe a year ago from Faber and Faber in London and they're querying, you know, can we pick up this cover for the UK? I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. I love that idea. You know, it's normal. People call all the time to, to ask to, to pick up work. And then they were like, oh, OK, well, we just need information on the image rights, et cetera. I was like, oh, well, that's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, well wow, okay, like, you want to tell us more about that? And so I explained the story that I just explained to you. And uh, they were really excited about that. And they didn't say much at the time. But they said, like, Oh, well, this is a really, this is a really great situation. There's some things brewing over here, we can't talk about them yet, but we'll let you know. And then maybe two months later, I get an email from Dublin City Council, uh, explaining to me that the country girls has been chosen in Dublin as the one uh, what's it called? One book, one city. Ah. So here in New here in New York, they also do this where every year uh, the city votes on a number of books. Like there's maybe five books, and you vote, and 
everyone chooses one book to read at the same time together. I mean, how many people actually participate? I don't know. But it's it's a great opportunity for any author publishing house for the for their book to be chosen and, and put forward. And so this year in Ireland right now, the month of April, the Country Girls trilogy by Edna O'Brien is uh, the one city, one book. And so I had the good fortune to fly over to uh, Dublin in March for the launch at the mayor's mansion. And uh, I met Edna O'Brien, my mother and her best friend in the photograph also were in attendance. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So we all met and it was amazing. And Edna O'Brien is just so vibrant and so brilliant and such a genius. It was like, it, it, it's something I will never forget. And uh, my mom's face is plastered all over the city of Dublin right now. Yeah. <laughs> so there's oh, like, you know, pic- pictures in trains, pictures on banners, on lampposts. Every bookstore has it in their front window. It's, it's really, it's really pretty great. You know, I think it's, it's sweet for my mom. It's, it's fun for her too. So. I love that. That's yeah. such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Oh, yeah, my, my pleasure. Um, thanks for asking about it. It's a, also a, a book I highly recommend. It's absolutely fantastic. Border Districts looks like... Uh, oh, Border Districts. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's got this, so, yeah, very um, unusual cover. So Border Districts is a book by Gerald Murnain. Um, he's an Australian writer in his late 70s, I believe. And he's been writing for years and years and years with, you know, as far as I'm concerned, not to enough accolade. Either way, again, at FSG, Rodrigo asked me to work on this cover and as well as another uh, book of his, a collection of works called Stream Systems. You know, we went through rounds and rounds of different things. And then eventually there's a specific reference to like smashing of stained glass windows. And it's, it's kind of built into this history um, piece within the book which is called a fiction even though it reads like a memoir it, it's kind of this Murnane claims that it can't possibly be a memoir because memory is fiction it's kind of a that's a conceptual mm. position so I just went to like some local junk shops thinking oh this won't be difficult I'll just find some old stained glass window or something and I'll just smash it up and it'll be great I couldn't find anything so I ended up settling on colored bottles um like vintage glass bottles smashed those put something together uh took a photograph with my phone did some type treatments that was the direction that ultimately got approved which I was I was really pleased about it was my favorite like very hyper minimal understated which is how the book really reads it's like it's it's beautiful everyone approved and then Gerald Murnane also, we had to send it to him, I think, in the post because he doesn't do email. He writes all of his books on a typewriter. But Rodrigo was like, yeah, this is good, but it, it would be better with real stained glass, which is exactly why, you know, you work for someone like him. And so I say, yeah, absolutely. So I start researching where am I going to get the stained glass? And I locate this one of two remaining stained glass restoration artists in New York City. And he's in Park Slope and has a storefront, which is just like how he can afford it. I have no idea. Anyway, I show up at his storefront at, you know, I don't know, 5.30 or 6 o'clock on a weekday. He just could not understand what I was up to. It didn't really 
want to know about it or care. Just was like, yeah, it's $10 a pound. (laughs) And he let me sift through all of his, you know, discarded pieces. Because when you work in stained glass, you're like doing all these cuts to make the perfect shape. And yeah, so I just, I gathered up a bunch of pieces that I, I felt were intriguing, interesting to me and a bunch more that probably weren't. I mean, I really only needed a handful. And I think I gave him like 20 bucks or 40 bucks or something and left and then went back to FSG, took a bunch more photographs, tons more photographs of different kind of organizations of the pieces of glass. Then to take it to the next level, Rodrigo was like, let's have this professionally shot. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's so nice. And so uh, we hired this guy, a wonderful photographer named Gregory Reed who works actually in Greenpoint around the corner from my studio. And I sent him my photographs. I sent him the layout. I sent him the pieces of glass that were required. And he took the beautiful photographs that we now have on the cover. And now that's been picked up by folks in the UK, a publisher called And Other Stories. And I'm actually, they've bought the rights to a number of Gerald Mooney works that they're going to publish over the next seven years. And I'll be doing every one of those covers. Fantastic. Yeah, I really, I had such, I mean, to be able to do a series like that of such a wonderful author is, is really cool. And I mean, I'm on, I'm on number three right now. uh, And I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, it's cool. We'll look forward to seeing those coming out. Yeah, I'll make sure to send them your way. Yeah. And, And I love with this one that that top piece it is kind of a bit abstract. It looks like it could be fish scales or even bubble wrap or something. It's got this yeah. incredible texture to it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there were so many pieces of choose from. And of course, you like kind of fall in love with all of them and you get a bit like obsessive. Yeah. Um, and that's why you have art directors and other eyes around you to say like, okay, stop. This is it. This is the one. Mm. <laughs> Which was really nice. Yeah. But yeah, this, it's also just like you know often my favorite covers are are my my favorite books as well I think maybe maybe that's not true actually but but in in this case this was a this was kind of like yeah a perfect landing yes it's definitely nice to have that personal connection to the book as well so if you love it it, yeah it makes you more motivated to to make the perfect cover as well yeah yeah I hope so oh wonderful well thank you so much this has been fascinating where can people go to find you on the internet do you want to send them to your instagram or your website oh yeah sure i mean it's all under sarah may wilkinson so you can look at my website at sarahmaywilkinson.com or you can check me out on instagram at sarah may wilkinson and then i think i think my twitter may be at sarah may underscore w perfect If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. Please be sure to rate and review us too. This show is hosted by Holly Dunn and edited by Eric Wilder. Our theme song is Sweet Berry Wine by Blue Wednesday. And Spine is a production of Spine Magazine. For show notes, articles, audio and video about the enormous talent that goes into creating books, visit spinemagazine.co.